Father, we come to you today, and uh, as we look at Noah, he's on a boat. He's been on a boat for a long time, and uh, I think, Lord, there came a point uh, when he felt forgotten, when he felt like uh, you had just totally forgotten him, and he didn't know if he was ever going to get off that boat. Lord, I, I know in our own lives there are times when we think that you've forgotten us, and and we wonder if we're ever going to get off the boat that we're in. And, Lord, uh, that's the lesson we want to see today, Lord, that you never forget us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. That you were always on your mind, Lord. Even our ha- very hairs are numbered uh, in your mind. And, Lord, we, we can trust the fact that, that whatever we're going through, if we walk by faith, uh, there will come a time when when you're going to deliver us just like you delivered Noah. So, Lord, let's help us to to see these truths and uh, bless this study, Lord. And if there's anyone here who today doesn't know you and they're wandering around in this world that's being judged as we speak, Lord, I just ask that today be the day that you uh, move them in a way that they receive Jesus Christ truly in their hearts and that they're born again and... uh, Lord, then uh, they become your child, and and Lord, uh, yeah, I know your children are always on your mind, and we're so grateful for that, Lord, and it's all made possible through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray, amen. I heard a joke years ago about an elderly couple named Roy and Nikki. <laughs> That really wasn't the elderly couple's name. I was trying to think of somebody to lay this joke on, but there's nobody old enough in here except me. And I don't joke about myself, so I'm not going to tell the joke. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll pretend it's me and Brenda. But there was this elderly couple named George and Brenda, and, and they were really having trouble remembering things. And so one night they were upstairs and they were watching TV, and uh, Brenda said, you know what, George, it would be great if you would go downstairs and get me a snack. And I said, honey, your wish is, is my command. I said, whatever you want, what do you want? She said, I would love an ice cream sundae. Now, are you going to remember this, George? Uh, Certainly I'm going to remember it, I said. And she said, I would love an ice cream sundae, and I would like chocolate syrup all over it and nuts on the top. Now, are you going to remember that? I said, yeah, I'm going to remember it. So, so I went downstairs, and she heard the pot shuffling, the refrigerator door opening. And, and after about 30 minutes, I came back upstairs, and I had a TV tray with hot dogs and potato chips on it. And she said, I knew you were going to forget something. You know I like mustard on my hot dogs. <laughs> well, that, we're really not struggling that bad with our memories yet. But... but uh, uh, most of us do, to some degree, struggle remembering things, don't we? Remembering names, remembering telephone numbers, remembering a lot of stuff. We, we struggle with that. And because we struggle with forgetfulness, sometimes we project an image on God that he does the same thing, that somehow he doesn't remember everything. I mean, how can God remember? I mean, there are billions of people on this earth. How can he remember everything? everything about every person all the time. 
I mean, surely he, he, he can't remember it all, even if he is God. Well, if I were to ask this crowd of evangelicals here today, uh, can God possibly forget anything, what would your answer be? No. Hopefully, because we know that God is omniscient. But if I was to rephrase that question, and I were to ask you, do you ever or have you ever felt forgotten by God? What would your answer be? Yes, certainly. Most of us would say, if we're honest, we would say yes. I mean, there are times when we pray and we pray and we pray and we moan and we groan and we beg God for something and we beg for deliverance from some uh, trial that we're in and he, it just seems that he's forgotten us, that, that uh, he's got bigger fish to fry, that our problems aren't big enough to grab his ear and that somehow uh, he's really not concerned about what's going on in our life. Well, that brings us to Noah here in chapter 8. Think of how Noah must have felt on that ark, him and his family and all of those animals. I mean, here he was 40 days and 40 nights, and it all it did was pour water from the heavens, and he saw the waters rise, and he saw all of these people die. And I figure after 40 days when the rain finally stopped, he probably said to himself, that's it, I'm going to get off this boat. Well, he was on the boat for, a, I mean, before the waters even started to recede, the waters were rushing through the earth for 150 days. That's five months that he, that, that he was on that boat, and he didn't see any end inside. I mean, he could go up, and he could look out on that top level, and he could look out the window, and all he could see was water. And he had no idea when he was going to get off that boat. Nowhere in the text does it say God said, you're going to be on this boat for a year. He didn't say that. God told him, you prepare, fill this place with animals, fill it with provisions, and then walk by faith. And that's what he had to do. Let me say this. Rarely, if ever, will God tell you how long the trial you are in is going to last. He doesn't tell you that. And they, they, I don't know about you, but my experience is that they seem to last a lot longer than I want them to last. A lot longer than I ever thought thought they would last. Now, what do we have to do then? Our faith has to kick in. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's really what God's working in our life. He's working faith and perseverance. And, 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 and faith produces perseverance, and perseverance produces faith. And so, so when our trials are really long like that, that's what God is doing in our life. And, and, and so here is Noah and he's being tested by God. And, and you got to ask the question, I mean, goodness, I mean, for 100 years he was tested. I mean, every day he went out and he, him and his sons worked on this ark and they built this giant ark and they waited for it to rain and people laughed at him and they scoffed at him and he didn't know even then when that rain was going to come. I mean, he knew the ark had to be built first probably. Hopefully he would have it built by then. But for 100 years he worked on that ark and, 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 and he was tested. And then he gets on the boat, and, and, and uh, you, you, he had to be thinking, well, my test is over. Boy, his test was only, had only just begun. Here's another thing you learn about test. Some of your greatest tests come at the end of your life. I mean, late in your life. 
I mean, you look at Abraham and how he was tested throughout his life. And when did his most difficult test come? It came after he had finally, uh, his vision was fulfilled and he had had his son Isaac. So late in life, look at the test that he faced. And so no matter what age you are, you're still going to be tested and, 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 and you never know how long that test is going to last. Well, why was Noah being tested here? Well, really, I think to prepare him for a much more long and difficult trial uh, that he was going to face once he got off of that ark and walked in that post-apocalyptic world. I mean, he was going to live in a, in a very difficult situation for a long time. And, and, and so at this point, he's wondering, I think at this point, he's wondering if he's ever going to get off of that boat. I mean, he, I believe, feels forgotten by God. But the Lord hadn't forgotten Noah. And that's where we want to pick up in verse number 1 of chapter 8. Verse number 1 of chapter number 8. Then God remembered Noah. See, God hadn't forgotten Noah. Or he had forgotten him. I mean, God, I could see God, he, he, he was up there one day and he said, you know what, I left that guy floating down there on earth. Maybe I ought to go down there and give him some help. He's probably getting worn out down there. That's kind of way the text, that's what it sounds like here. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. So it almost sounds here like God had forgotten him. And, 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 but we know that God had never forgotten Noah. Uh, all this is saying is that the point had come, the time had come, that God had set to, to again... Be, continue the process of delivering Noah from the flood and from the ark. And that time had arrived. I mean, God always had a plan for delivering Noah. Listen, if you're here today and you feel forgotten by God, God's got a plan. And he set a date when you're going to be delivered. That deliverance is going to come just like it came for Noah. But it's not going to come. Here's the thing I've learned in my 30 years of being a Christian, is that your deliverance doesn't come one day earlier than God plans on it coming, and it doesn't come one day later than God plans on it coming. And you can pray till you're blue in the face. Believe me, I have tried. And and when I've been in a testing or a trial, I have tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, and my deliverance didn't come until God was ready for it to come. On a date he had planned uh, before the trial even began for my deliverance. And whatever trial you're going through right now, God has set a date for your deliverance. He is going to deliver you. You've got to trust him that he's going to deliver you in his timing. And he's working something really good in your life if you'll, if you'll hang on with him. Now, what this is where it says God remembered Noah, theologians call that an anthropomorphism. Now, that's a big theological word that simply means that we, we attribute human uh, traits to God so we can better understand God. I almost wish this wasn't written like this because God had never forgotten Noah. But for humans to understand this, what it's saying is, well, God 
it clicked in God's mind that now it's time to deliver Noah. That's, that's really what we're being told right here. Uh, and, and, and that, that, that uh, tool is used over and over again. That, that particular anthropomorphism is used over and over again in the Bible, this idea that God re- suddenly remembered. Let me give you a few examples. Go with me over to Genesis chapter 30. And you remember Rachel and how she had longed to have a child. Leah was having all of these children with Jacob, and she couldn't have any children. And and so she had longed to have a child, but she she couldn't have a child. And she begged God, and she begged God, and she begged God. And she at some point, she must have felt like God had forgotten her. He was remembering Leah. And Leah was having all these children, but she wasn't having any children. And so she felt forgotten. But then the day came, and this is where we want to pick up in uh, Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. Look what it says. It says, then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called the name, his name Joseph. Her son's name was Joseph, and what a great man he was going to be. And said, the Lord shall add uh, to me another son. She, she was, as say she had a son, she was begging the Lord for another son. And she was going to get another son. That son would kill her, but she was going to get that son. But God had never forgotten Rachel, even though she felt forgotten. God had chosen Rachel before the foundation of the world to bear Joseph as her son. And so she wasn't forgotten at all. It just was that God, the time came when God in his mind said, now's the time that Rachel is going to bear this child named Joseph. Another great example of this, while we're over in this part of the Bible, head to Exodus chapter 2. And you remember the Israelites. Uh, uh, They had felt forgotten. I mean, they were under this Egyptian yoke and uh, a bondage, and and uh, uh, they had cried out and cried out for centuries for God to deliver them, and and it, and to them it seemed like God had forgotten them. But then we look in Exodus chapter two and look at verse number twenty-four, and it says there that that so God heard the their groaning of the groaning of the Israelites. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now, had God forgotten his covenant with uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? No, that's an everlasting covenant. I mean, for the Israelites that went into the land in 1940, uh, think of the, the thousands of years they weren't in the land. And certainly they must have thought God had forgotten them. He had forgotten their covenant, but he never forgot that covenant. God doesn't forget his covenants. There just came a time that he had said in eternity past to deliver them. And at that time, as an anthropomorphism, we're told that God remembered his covenant with, with uh, Israel. I mean, when I think of this story, let me tell you who I think about who must have felt forgotten. I think about poor Moses. I mean, here was Moses from the time he was a little child. God had said, you're going to deliver Israel. I mean, his parents had told him, that his mother had told him that he was going to deliver Israel. And he set out one day to do that with his own hands. 
And when he did that, he, got, he murdered a man and he had to flee and he went down into Midian and he was down there for 40 years herding sheep in a desert. And he was 80 years old. And that day when God appeared to him, let me tell you what, Moses felt like he was the most forgotten man on earth. But in that whole time he was in that desert, he was never forgotten by God. And then God appeared to him in that burning bush and he said, now... He remembered Moses, and now, Moses, you're going to deliver the nation of Israel, and uh, uh, you're going to be the one who, uh, my chosen one to deliver my people. All right, so uh, anyway, here's Noah. He's on the ark. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 8. Noah's on the ark, and it seemed like forever. I, I mean, when you're going through a trial like that, isn't it amazing how long uh, or how time changes, and it seems to last so long. You can go on vacation, and it seems to last so short. And then, and then you, and then you go through a trial, and it seems to go on forever and ever and ever. And and I mean, forty days and forty nights and one hundred and fifty days doesn't seem like a very long time. But when you're all you're doing is on an ark, you're isolated in that ark, almost like in a prison. And you're there every day waiting for something to happen and waiting for that water to recede and you're looking for land. You, had, you have to start feeling that, that uh, God has forgotten you. But uh, God had remembered uh, Noah and now he's going to act on Noah's behalf. And look at the first thing that he does here in verse number 8, the last part of verse number 8. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. So that's the first thing that God does. Uh, The late creation scientist, Henry Morris, gives a great description of what, uh, a great description of what happened right here uh, as he describes how during the flood, and I'm just going to read this to you, there was a, a drastic rearrangement of the terrestrial topography with continental land masses rising from the waters of the ocean basin, basins, deepening and widening to receive the waters draining off the lands. Now, that's a one-sentence description of what went on during the flood, but it's a pretty good description of what takes place. And he didn't come up with that himself. Uh, I mean, he, from a scientist's perspective, he looked at what the Bible had to say about it, and that's exactly what the Bible says happened. Because you go over to Psalms 104, flip with me over there, in Psalms 104... Listen to this description, and it's almost the same as what Henry Morris, what I just read you uh, out of Henry Morris's book, The Genesis Flood. And listen, listen to what this, what this uh, says right here over in Psalms 104. Pick up in verse number 5. It says, You, Lord, who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. In other words, you're the one who created the earth. And you're the only one who can move it. But you covered it with the deep, with the deep waters. He's talking about the flood, like with a gar- as with a garment. Uh, the waters stood above the mountains. That's how deep those waters were. We saw last week they were 23 feet, 25 feet, somewhere around in that range above the mountains. At your rebuke, though, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. Now, you got to... Picture all of this. There is a lot 
a movement going on at this time, a lot of movement. Noah's on that ark, and these waters aren't just nice, calm, still waters. This water is moving everywhere, all over the earth. Uh, uh, it's interesting when you look at the rivers that in the United, even in the just in the United States today, uh, you clearly see how this these rivers did a, were at one time a lot larger than they were now and how they moved these great amounts of sediment that formed some of these canyons that we see, uh, like the Grand Canyon. You see the Colorado... Now, they'll tell you that Colorado, that little Colorado River did that over millions and billions of years. That's not what happened. That river was flowing at a massive rate, and what, the reason all that... You, got, you see all those layers there in the Grand Canyon is because all that sediment settled down after those waters receded. And so that's what's going on at this point. These massive amounts of water... Are, are being moved, and so uh, 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 Noah's on that ark when all of this is taking place. And so God sends this wind. Let me, let me go ahead. Did I finish reading Psalms 104 where I was at? Let me go ahead. It says, at your, rebuke they find, at your rebuke they fled, at the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains, they went down into the valleys. And you, see, you just picture all this movement of this water to the place which you founded for them, and you have set a boundary that they may not pass over. Today, those waters are set. The oceans weren't like they are today, but they will always be like they are today. Now, all of these people that are talking about the icebergs are melting and, and, and the waters are going to be raised and they're going to cover the United States, that's not going to happen. Not as long as God's on his throne, and I don't think he's abdicating his throne anytime soon. So, so uh He's, he's placed the waters, he's placed the ice everywhere where it is, and, and the boundaries of, of, of the rivers and the oceans have all been set, and you have set the boundaries that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. That's not going to happen again, uh, at least until the Great Tribulation. Some, some, some turbulent things are going to happen in the Great Tribulation, and we don't know exactly what all the effects of that's going to be. But until the Great Tribulation comes, there's going to be springtime, there's going to be summer, there's going to be fall, there's going to be winter, winter, there's going to be planting, and there's going to be harvest. The Bible tells us that, and we can count on that. So don't listen to all these global alarmists. If the earth is warming up, it's God heating things up as part of his judgment. So he's not going to let us drown here so don't worry about it but what an amazing description you get here in psalm 104 of what took place uh in this flood now you got these winds blowing and these waters moving and they're settling into place and then after they settle into place i imagine the wind kept blowing to dry the land surface out so it could be uh habitable Otherwise, it wouldn't be. I mean, you've, you've, been in, you've walked outside in your backyard after one of these torrential rains we have in Louisiana. And what we, when, whenever I, I walk outside and I'm standing ankle deep in mud, what I hope for is a wind to come blowing in behind that front or whatever brought that rain in to kind of dry that, that uh, land out. And so God used the wind not only to move the waters but to dry the land out. All right, then he tells us a little more about what's going on here, beginning in verse number 2. He says, The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Now, who restrained it? Who stopped it? God restrained it, and he stopped it. And the waters receded continually from the earth, 
I mean, it was a process where you got this great movement of these waters. And at the end of 150 days, the waters, at that point, after 150 days, they, they're moving everywhere, they begin to decrease. Then the ark finally, at this point, rested in the seventh month. Watch this, the exact day we get, the Lord gives us this. And it's really interesting, this seventh uh, month. The seventh month and the 17th day of the month, on the, he tells us exactly where. On the mountains of Ararat. You know where that ark landed? The same place you're going to land when your trial's over. Exactly where God wants you to be. Exactly when he wants you to be there. He has an exact date for that. But here's Noah now. And you've got all of this movement of waters. And one of the things that happens in this movement of waters is that these, this mountain range, the mountains of Ararat, are formed at, by this great flood. And Noah lands somewhere on, in that Ararat mountain range, which includes Mount Ararat, which is about 17,000 feet tall. It sits in modern-day Turkey. Uh, there's been all sorts of explorations, uh, expeditions to explore Mount Ararat, and some people claim that they have actually found the ark on Mount Ararat. I, can't, I sort of doubt that. Uh, I, I heard one of those explorers say that uh, if we could find the ark, that would be the greatest discovery ever made by mankind. And if we could find the ark, there would be a great revival throughout the world. Baloney. Baloney. You remember what Jesus told, or what Abraham told the rich man when he was in the hot part of Hades and Abraham was in paradise and the rich man said, yelled across the gulf between paradise and and Hades, and he yelled, please, Abraham, please send word, send this man Lazarus, the man in your bosom, raise him from the dead, and send him to my brothers, so that they won't end up in this terrible place that I'm in. And you remember what Abraham said, even if we sent your brother they're not going to believe because if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe just because they see a miracle. And if you're refusing to believe this Bible, you can find the ark and then you can retell the story any way you want to tell it if you're still going to refuse to believe the Bible. And if you believe the Bible, you don't need to see the ark because you know God is not lying and every bit of this story is true. And so... uh, uh, finding the ark uh, to me isn't a big deal at all. I mean, I mean, for, as a Christian, that'd be cool if they did find it. I would, I would get on a plane and try to go see it myself. I'd be, I, I mean, it'd be better than seeing the one up in Kentucky. You know, if you could see the real thing. But, uh, but they're, not, they're more than likely they're not going to find it. Now, what's interesting to be here is that is that he gives the exact 
date when that ark landed in this mountain range of Ararat. And I think he gives it to us for a reason. The reason is that the ark is a type of Jesus Christ. And he's teaching us something about that type in giving us this, this date. I mean, we've already seen some things that make it a type, like, like there was only one door. There was only one door, and God controlled who went in and out of that door. Well, Jesus Christ is our ark, and he's the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. There is only one door. That's the only door that we can go through. Uh, and then we saw last week, as the ark, the very floodwaters that were judging the earth, as they lifted up the, the ark, they actually delivered Noah and his family from the judgment that was taking place on earth. Now that is a picture of exactly what's going to happen when God judges the earth again. And we're lifted up and we're taken above the floodwaters that are on this earth and we're in the presence of the Lord in, who is our ark. Now, here's what else is interesting. When the ark had finished its work, what did it do? It rested on Mount Ararat. Well, guess what happened when Jesus finished his work? When he was on the cross dying for our sins, do you remember what happened when he gave up the spirit? He says, it is finished. My work is done. And on the third day, he was raised to new life so that we could have new life. And that third day that he was raised was on the seventh month of the 17th day of the year. That's the exact day he was raised from the dead. The exact day Noah's ark rested on Mount Ararat. Well, you say that's just a coincidence. I don't see any coincidence there whatsoever. All right, now look at verse number 5. He says, And the waters decreased continually on the earth until the 10th month. Well, that's good news from God's standpoint, because to him, you know, uh, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. Uh, so, so, but from Noah's standpoint, this is going on way too long. I mean, the waters decrease continually, but, but just get them off the earth, Lord, and let me get on solid ground here and get off of this ark. And the waters decrease continually until the 10th month, and in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, finally, finally, the tops of the mountains were seen. And I got to believe when Noah saw those mountaintops, he's already resting on this large peak somewhere, probably on Mount Ararat itself, and, and, uh, which was like the tallest peak. And then he starts seeing these other peaks. Now that tells him that the water's receding. He didn't know that until that point. He, he knows that the water is receding because he didn't see those mountaintops before. And so his hopes soar. I mean, he's excited. God hadn't forgotten him after all. I mean, and so, man, get ready. We're about, he tells the family, get ready. We're about to get off the ark. Well, I got news for Noah. You're not about to get off the ark. Soon you're going to get off the ark, but not right now. You're going to get off when God's ready for you to get off, and that's going to be a couple of months later. So, uh, I mean, he, he's thinking God hadn't forgotten him, but I imagine as those next two months passed, he probably 
felt that God, again, that all over again, that God had forgotten him uh, because he's going to end up living on that ark 371 days. That's how long he spent on the ark. That is a long, long time to be on an ark. So after 40 more days of waiting, he, see, he sees the mountain peaks, and then he waits another 40 days, and they're not really receding as fast as he was hoping they were going to recede. So he decides to test the situation. I'm going to see, you know, if maybe past our vision here on the horizon somewhere, things are getting a lot better. So he decides to test the situation by sending out a couple of birds. Look at beginning in verse number 6. It says, So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which, which kept going to and fro from the waters until the waters had dried up from the earth. So, so right away when he sends, the, sends this raven out, it just keeps going back and forth, which tells him what? That it can't find food and it can't find dry land. That's bad news. Then he sent out, he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. Then one day the raven comes back, or the raven doesn't come back. That's good news. But, but the situation with the dove is, is, is similar. I mean, the, uh, uh, he sends out the dove, and, and uh, uh, the dove, we'll, we'll look at it here in a minute, the dove comes back, but then at some point he doesn't come back either. All right, now, a lot of people look at this, passage right here and they see a great spiritual allegory of false Christians and true Christians Uh, the false Christians are represented by the raven who is an unclean bird and the raven goes back and forth into the world back just like false Christians go back and forth into the world and then one day they never come back to the ark of Jesus Christ because they are really like Demas, they love this present world, and they don't really love Christ, and so they leave because they're not of us, and they never come back. Uh, the dove, on the other hand, uh, represents true Christians, and the, you get the spirit, because they have the spirit, and the spirit's represented by the dove. And so they represent two Christians, I mean, tr- they represent true Christians, and uh, uh, the dove uh, goes for a while, he goes into the world, but eventually he comes back and he stays back. And that's kind of the way, when you look at this story, if you look at these verses, that's, that's sort of the way it looks like it happens. Because look, beginning in verse number 9. The dove found no resting place. Uh, this, for the sole of her foot. And she returned at the and to the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So she put out, so he put out his hand, and he took her and drew her into the ark himself. Now, that's not good news, that the dove came back. Now, the dove couldn't find a resting place either. And then he walked yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove, he waited yet another seven days, I'm sorry, and again he sent the dove out of the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. Now, that was really good news. 
Because not only did the dove uh, find dry land, the dove found live plant life. So that's very, very good news for uh, Noah and his family. But here's where the whole thing breaks down as we look at the last verse we're going to look at today, and that's verse number 12. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which didn't return again anymore. That's why you've you got to be careful when you try to allegorize a text that that allegory doesn't break down on you too fast. And, and, and it does because, obviously, uh, if you have the dove, if you have the Spirit of God, uh, you're not going to leave and not come back. And so, so that... I don't agree with that allegory at all, even though it's told all the time by, by various pastors. All right, now, anyway, with, when this dove doesn't return, it's great news for Noah. Great news for Noah and his family because it means that things are drying up on the earth and that very soon he's going to be able to get off of that ark. And that's exactly what's going to happen when we get to verse number 15. We're not going to get there today, but let me read it to you anyway. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. So, had God forgotten Noah? No. He had never forgotten Noah. He was just waiting for the perfect time to tell Noah to get off that boat. Now, that door was shut tight. So Noah couldn't have gotten off that boat if he wanted to through that door. Now, Noah could have done like a lot of us do when we get into some serious trial. He could have taken matters into his own hands. He could have busted out that window, got him some rope, and gotten off of that ark a lot earlier if he had wanted to. What would have happened to him if he got off that ark one day earlier than God had wanted him to get off that ark? He probably would have perished. And what if... What if, let's say, what if after God says, all right, now, get off the ark? Say what? Get off the ark. You see where I'm on top of a mountain. I mean, everything's destroyed. Yeah, he came, the dove came back with an olive branch from a little plant growing up. How are we going to live? How are we going to make it on this, in this post-apocalyptic world? Noah probably, to some degree, was ready to get off the ark and in, in another, to another degree, he, he wanted to stay on the ark because he had found his salvation on that ark and he didn't want to get off of that ark. But if he had stayed on that ark, I imagine at this point they're running out of food and that's one of the reasons he was wondering, God, have you forgotten us? I mean, we're, we're about to, you know, this is about it. We're running, out of, we're running out of rations. But if he had stayed on that ark because he was afraid to go out, you know, somehow we get ourselves into trials sometimes and we're afraid when God says, go out, step out, get out of this situation, we're afraid to step out and, and we destroy ourselves by staying in the, in the trial that God has ended for us. So, so uh, Noah, was, Noah was a person who was going to get off of that ark when God told him to get off of that ark. You know, some people see Noah sending out the two birds. They liken it to to Israel sending the 12 spies into the promised land. You remember how God had told Israel, I want you to go into the promised land. That was God's command. You're, You're testing 
in the, your testing's over. This was before they spent 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, their test was pretty short. I want you to go into the promised land. It's yours to conquer. They, they weren't ready to end that. They weren't ready for that test to end. They would rather the test to go on than to go into that land. And so what did they do? They sent out 12 spies because they didn't trust the good intentions of God. If they had believed God, they, would just, they wouldn't have sent out any spies. But they sent the spies out. They sent 12 spies into the land. And the spies came back and said, goodness, we don't want to go into that land. There's giants in the land. These, they, there's walled cities. There, there, there's all sorts of armies. Uh, we could never defeat those armies. We could never defeat those giants. We could never co- conquer those cities with those walls. And so, so we don't want to go into that land. And so uh, why, did they, why did they send the 12 spies in? Because they doubted the good intentions of God. And, and they weren't really, really ready to obey God. They were, they, they were going to disobey God. So, so I don't see Noah's situation as being the same as Israel sending in the 12 spies, as some people do. I don't think, think him sending the two birds matches that situation at all. Because Noah's intentions were never to disobey God. Noah was going to get off that boat when God told him to get off that boat. Not a day sooner, not a day later. Noah was a man who believed God and he obeyed God. But Noah felt forgotten. Noah had his doubts. And so he sends the birds out not to determine when he's going to get off the boat because he wasn't getting off the boat until God told him to get off that boat, but just to see maybe how long it was going to be before he did get off that boat, before God told him to get off that boat. But he never had any intention of disobeying God. You see the big difference there? See, that's why I don't think it's wrong to, to test the waters. I don't think it's wrong to, send, to, to put out the fleece. I don't think it's wrong to ask God to, 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 to give you some kind of indication of what you need to do next or when this trial is going to end. I don't think that's wrong. What's wrong is if you're going to disobey God no matter what God tells you. And, and that's why a lot of us don't get a word from God because even if we get the word, we're not going to do what God tells us to do. And, and so, so we have to live by faith, but there's times when we feel that God's forgotten us, but we're going to seek God and we're going to want to hear from God and God at least tell me, am I in your will? Uh, is this trial going to go on forever? Or, or Lord, you know, when do you plan on getting me out of this trial? I remember, you remember the Israelites after uh, uh, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and taken most of Israel uh, into captivity. Uh, There was a group of Israelites who were left behind in the land and they decided to leave and go down to Egypt. And they asked Jeremiah, they asked Jeremiah, Jeremiah, do you, uh, uh, what do you think we ought to do? You think we ought to go down to Egypt? You think God's okay with us going down to Egypt? And you know what Jeremiah told him? He said, it doesn't matter. If I tell you what God wants you to do, it doesn't matter what I tell you because you're going to do what you want to do anyway. And that's exactly what happened. Jeremiah went to the Lord and the Lord said, tell them if they go down to Egypt, they're going to be destroyed. 
And, and uh, Jeremiah relayed that to them, and they went down to Egypt with them. And poor Jeremiah, they took Jeremiah with them. And they were destroyed down in Egypt. So it's okay to, to, to feel forgotten sometimes. It's okay to, to, to say, Lord, how long is this going to keep going like this? It's okay, Lord, can you give me some kind of sign that I'm in your will? Some kind of, you know, is, is, would you, you know, to spy out the land even would be okay. If your intentions were, no matter what you saw or what you heard, your intentions were to obey God. God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth and, and really those who will obey him. And, and uh, uh, Noah Noah wasn't like the Israelites. He sent those two birds out just because he felt forgotten and he was wondering when in the world is all of this going to end. Now, what about you? I mean, are there times when you feel like God's forgotten you? I mean, I, I can look around this room and I can see it in some of your faces that you... you, you you feel forgotten by God. And, and, and here's the word of encouragement from this message today, from this text today. If you're a child of God, God has not forgotten you. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. But he's going to test you. And sometimes that test is going to last a very long time. Moses, 40 years. Really, before he got out of that one, it went right back into another one for 40 years. 80 years. He's going to test you for a very long time. And when you're in that test, it's going to feel like you're forgotten. It's going to feel like that. And that's where your faith has got to kick in. Someone once came a man once came to the great evangelist D.L. Moody and he said, I don't even feel like I'm saved. I mean, I believe the gospel, but I don't feel saved. In fact, I feel like God has forgotten me. And Moody asked the man, he asked him a simple question. He says, was Noah safe in the ark during the flood? I asked that question to you. Was Noah safe in the ark during the flood? Certainly he was safe. The man answered, certainly. And Moody responded, what made him safe? His feelings are the ark. The ark. I mean, and the man got the point, and you should get the point. That if you're in the ark, you're not forgotten. You're safe. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. I mean, you can change your feelings. You know how you can change your feelings? By believing that you're saved. By believing in God. By trusting in God. And that realizing that no matter how you feel, you're safe in the arms of Jesus Christ. And soon, soon might mean a few years, God is going to deliver you. And in in his time, he's going to fulfill his plan for your life. And you're going to see it happen. And he's going to sanctify you. 
And he's going to glorify you forever. And when you see him, you're going to be like him. Great promises in the Bible. But if you don't believe them, if you don't live by faith, you're going to feel forgotten. Don't let that happen. God hadn't forgotten. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the encouraging word we find here in this text. and In all your Bible, Lord, just how those of us who have rested in the ark of Jesus Christ have no reason to fret, no reason to worry. Lord, we are safe in your arms. And no matter how long the trial last, Lord, that you're taking us through or you're going to take us through, we can trust the fact that you've planned a day for our deliverance. You know the very hour that we're going to be delivered. And it will be in your perfect timing. Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. We thank you for the salvation that we have in our heart, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.